This is episode 75 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, How to Improve Your Speaking Voice. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I am really delighted to welcome an old friend to the show today, Eleanor Englund was my vocal coach some years ago, and I recently had some conversations with clients about their voices and how they didn't like how they sounded, and I thought, I'm going to talk to Ellie about this. So she's coming on the show today to share her expertise. She was born in Newport Beach and began uh, singing and playing the piano at age 10 and began taking uh, classical music lessons and eventually turned to jazz and blues, which is, I've heard her perform on several occasions and she is truly wonderful. And she launched her jazz career with the first annual Black Valentine's Day in San Francisco. And then she's played all over the place. I won't list them, but um, very well-known venues and all kinds of festivals and for private clients and so forth. Sad for me, she moved to New York City in February of 2017 and travels to work with private clients uh, back in California as well as in Amsterdam. And this is what's relevant for us. She's an in-demand vocal coach and voice technique consultant for individuals, bands, studios, and large music event presentations. She additionally coaches artists on their stage shows and presentations. And then she lists here the many, many awards her students have clients have garnered. And I won't list them all, but I will say she is a fantastic teacher. And if you are interested in working with Ellie, I can say you will see results. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Oh, thank you, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm just great. So pleased to have you on the show. It's really fun to have a friend on. Oh, no, thanks for having me. This is like super fun. Good. All right. So what happens to me sometimes, and we'll talk more about whether or not this is wise, is that I ask my clients to record themselves so they get a sense of how they sound, you know, what their vocal mannerisms are, how their voice sounds, how they come across, because I work on soft skills for mostly technical people or finance people, and they may not have had a lot of experience with working on voice or, or voice techniques. And then what happens is a lot of times they come back and say, ah, that sounded horrible. I hate how I sound. Especially they'll say, you know, it doesn't sound the way I thought it would sound. So do you have some advice for people who are initially shocked at how they sound? Well, you know, it's weird because most people are shocked at how they sound. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How that comes to be is. Well, there's a lot of uh, things that can go into it, but one of the things is that when you are hearing your voice when you're speaking, you're actually hearing it through bone and muscle and skin and in other people's cases, but not mine, brain. 
So, <laughs> so, so you hear like this sort of internal sound and you kind of get used to how that sounds. And it's weird because your voice is really a pretty big part of your identity. So you hear this voice, you associate your personality with the voice, and then you hear it in the air, which is on a recording. It goes through the air into the recording device. And then you hear it back in through the air and it's much different. And there's an alienation thing that happens there where people are feeling really upset. They, they feel like it's not them. Um, they, you know, the reaction is to push it away and be really grossed out by it. Mm-hmm. So there is an aspect of when you hear yourself on recordings, it gets better. Uh-huh. <laughs> over, time. Get, over time, over yeah. time. Yeah. Cause you get used to it, but The other thing is that, you know, most people don't have great speaking voices. So when they're hearing themselves, they're kind of holding themselves up to a standard of things they hear on the radio, things they hear in podcasts, things that they hear on television. So, you know, so the comparison is between a pro voice that's been fixed up in the studio and their little homebrew recording that they made there's a lot of that that kind of goes on so I guess the upshot is what can you do about it (laughs) well I think that uh, yeah I think it's really helpful for you to explain why it's different when you hear yourself on a recording than how you hear yourself in your head and so just having that initial education is is helpful to like you know be be aware this is going to sound different it's going to freak out yeah um the other thing too is that when you when you're listening back to yourself, it's not sometimes people are so alienated by it that it's not very helpful. But you know, it's like when people look in the mirror, they don't look to see if their jaws lined up like when they're taking singing lessons. When you put them in front of a mirror, they start looking at if their hair is good, if they look bad, if you know, there's a whole bunch of things that they look for and they start judging themselves about it. Mm-hmm. So And some people do not like to look in the mirror because they're so dysmorphic about how they appear. But, you know, when we're in voice lessons, we like to look at how the jaw moves. So if you're only looking at that one aspect, you tend to do a little bit better than if you're looking at the whole thing and judging. And the same is true when you're listening to yourself. When you're listening to yourself, you know, to do corrections on your delivery, you're listening for things that are going to put the listener off like that or (laughs) um, (laughs) stuff like that, like, um, or, you know, anything like that. You're listening for that to see what your habits are so that you can then correct them. So I would recommend only doing that like once or twice and then just trying to be aware of the habit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So most of my clients will complain about sounding thin or high, especially for women. And they want to add, well, and I think when I came to you, I wanted to be louder. And so do you have some suggestions for us about how to add both resonance and volume to our voices? Yeah, there's a couple of things that we'll add. Well, first of all, let's back up for a second and deal with Part of the question is especially about women's voices and how they don't want them to be high. Mm -hmm. That's actually something that's, it's hard to say how to solve this problem because you can solve half of it and then the other half will solve, but 
it's hard to tell how to approach it, but basically women's voices are higher. <laughs> yeah. Period. oh wait 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 i think you might be talking about a sex difference that's not allowed these days (laughs) we must deny (laughs) you know i mean it kind of depends on the individual everybody's hormonal levels are a little different sure but basically testosterone lowers your voice and it does so permanently so when men speak their voice has lowered uh, after puberty or during puberty. So when we listen to women's voices and they're naturally higher, then we start saying, well, we don't feel like we have a lot of authority when we speak because our voice is high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then a lot of times women will try to artificially lower their voice. Um, this happens a lot with CEOs and, and people like this that have to sort of compete in a male dominated kind of culture. Mm-hmm. So they'll artificially lower their voice, but that's not good. And it can actually cause you some vocal injuries. So you want to, if possible, I mean, just kind of be cool with the fact that women are going to have a higher pitched voice, generally speaking, than m- most men do. Yeah, that's just reality. Yeah, that's reality. And to fight it. So one of the things that you can do to combat thin resonance versus, I guess, thick resonance. Uh, one of the things is you want the sound to resonate a lot more in what they call the mask area. Singing teachers are always like singing, you know, singing to the mask. <laughs> you know, <or> whatever. <laughs> and the mask is basically the area from the bridge of your nose to about the bottom of the eye sockets below the eyes down to the top front teeth and the bones of the face in the front. So. When you're speaking, generally, you want some more resonance in that area than a lot of people have. Where most people have their resonance is like in the throat. So Mm -hmm. if I was going to speak in the throat, let me see if I can do that. Mm -hmm. So now I'm talking in the throat and you can see that it kind of makes my voice harder to control and you can kind of hear the inconsistencies in it. Now I'm going to go back to speaking more like in the mask and you can see it kind of smooths out a little bit. You also have a little bit of more vocal range. What you can do is if you imagine that there's a hole between your nose and the top of your lip, I don't know what that area is called, but between the bottom of your nose and the top of your lip, right in the middle, if you imagine that there's a slot there that's big enough to put quarters or Euro coins or whatever Uh, And then you're going to try to speak or sing directing the sound through that spot. That will start to get your sound more into the mask and less into the throat overall. So that's one thing you can do. Um, The second thing you can do that's super helpful is breathing and breath support. Now, breathing and breath support, this is the sort of thing that you want to probably go in and talk to a voice teacher or an Alexander Technique teacher, which is um, the third thing that can help you, which is Alexander Technique. Basically, Alexander Technique is the ergonomic use of the body. Mm-hmm. So when you're speaking or singing, just not fighting the natural inclination of your body. Uh, you know how sometimes you'll be standing around and then you realize that your your fist has been clenched the whole time and you didn't really notice it. <laughs> mm. 
So the same is true for a lot of parts of your body. You know, you're holding them and sort of tensing them yeah. uh, necessarily. So Alexander Technique tries to organize the body a little bit so that you're not doing these extra tension things. And it actually can add a lot of body to the sound. That's really interesting. I, I, if you taught me that before, I think I've kind of forgotten it. The whole difference about speaking oh. in your throat versus speaking in your, in your, into the mask. Sure. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that you do find people who have kind of low voices that are fairly monotone, like there isn't a lot of variety in their tones, and they're not very expressive. Sure. And I wonder if that comes from this habit that we have of of speaking in our throat, where it's just all, it feels maybe uh, the sound is all kind of getting squashed down there. Yeah, it's funny because you kind of, when when the sound is resonating more in the throat and less in the mask, it can really kind of get caught down there. And in fact, sometimes it gets caught into the vocal fry. And mm-hmm. when you know you're kind of trapped in that area is when you feel like you cannot inflect up to hit uh, like, oh my God, that's crazy, you know, or you can't really inflect too far up. You get kind of um, caught on the ceiling before you're able to make it all the way up to the pitch that you want to express. Um, so, you know, if that's the case you're, you're and you feel like you're really limited between you know, the bottom and the top, it's a very limited space and, or that here's the vocal fry. So like, uh, and this is like we in California, like a lot of times on the beach, (laughs) talk like that, you know? (laughs) I totally know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about whether we should or should not use vocal fry and especially in women's voices, but the upshot of it is functionally that it's going to just limit your range a lot. So yes, speaking into the mask can help with that, but also breathing and breath support can help with that and Alexander technique. But uh, the breath support thing is something, it's a term that I think a lot of people don't really know about. And what it means is when you're expelling your air, your body gets small, you get smaller because there's less air in your body. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. The breath support is going against the expulsion of the air. So for instance, you're expelling at a certain rate. Um, breath support is you're trying to make yourself bigger uh, in the same ways that you get that you normally would get smaller. You're trying to resist that smallness so that you use less air. So it's an antagonistic relationship between expelling the air and breath support. Breath support slows down the expulsion of air. And generally speaking, your voice functions a little bit better if you use a little bit less air. Oh, interesting. I know it's weird. You like you use more power, less air, more power. Less air uh, just seems to, especially when you go up to like high notes and stuff, people seem to think that you have to use more air. But if you use less air, your voice uh, tends to function a little bit better. Hmm, interesting. It kind of is going to depend on the voice, but for a lot of people, less air is a little bit more power. For some people, it's not, they already have less air, so it's not a good thing to use even less. (laughs) Mm, Right. I think that's more what I observe, or at least from, from myself, certainly before I started working with you. 
sure. was it was a tendency to be pretty tense. And so just not have a lot of airflow because I just all squished up because I'm scared to talk. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of that. There's a lot of trying to hold the sound into your body because you're like, you don't want to inconvenience people with the sound that you're making. That's one or Mm -hmm. you're shy and you don't want to put it out there or you're feeling like, there's a lot of not wanting to take up a lot of space um, sonically mm-hmm. that we do. And that pulls the body in and it makes the voice function not as good. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So it may not be, I mean, air is part of it, but also I think, and I remember now, I think you sent me to, to an expert in Alexander techniques, this whole, oh idea. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This whole idea of, of using your whole body. Um, yes, to to create your voice, and let's talk specifically about volume because that's something in my Toastmasters club that that I notice uh, is often a challenge for people. Sure, at the beginning levels, at the at the street level, <laughs> uh-huh. that resonance ex- uh, exercise I gave you, where you're trying to sing or speak through the coin slot, is going to do a lot to get you the volume because. it's resonance is one of the main things that, that causes your volume. You know, people think if they add more air, then it's actually bigger volume, but it's actually not, it's more resonance. Mm -hmm. So if you can, again, just getting the resonance out of the throat and into the mask area, that starts to be a little bit, um, this starts to be a a little bit more volume. Mm Mm-hmm. So the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about and this uh, discussion about the Alexander technique goes into that. Talk about how the rest of your body, not just your vocal cords, contribute to your voice. Oh, yeah. Well, each muscle and each part of your body has a part to, to play in how your body functions. So, for instance, uh, your pelvic floor muscles can be involved in breathing or they can be involved in clenching. Mm, Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 So you tend to sort of, people tend to kind of walk around with their pelvic floor muscles and their gluteus maximus just really tense. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we do that? Is life just so stressful that we do that? (laughs) I I think it is the Alexander uh, people. And I think you went to Eileen Troberman and Encinitas. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. That was her name. She's fantastic. Um, But yeah, I mean, the Alexander people will tell you that basically that's extraneous tension. Mm -hmm. They would have a different solution uh, to it than I do. Uh, they would probably give you something that's a lot more enlightened. But for me, (laughs) well, who knows, whatever works. But for me, if you just sort of notice that you're clenching your butt, (laughs) that kind of works. You know, you're just going to start to build an awareness that you're clenching. But when they're clenching, they really can't help with the breathing at all. And breathing really should go down through the pelvic floor which is weird. People tend to think of breathing either in the shoulders and the, and the chest, mm-hmm. or if they're, if they've had a couple of voice lessons, maybe in the stomach. Yeah. But, I think of the stomach a lot now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But down through the pelvic floor and into the back is also a thing. So if those muscles are clenched up 
and that can be your back muscles, your pelvic floor muscles, your gluteus, the whole, you know, whatever is, is clenching up is not able to do its job. And so you don't have as good of a flow out for them, for the sound, you know, because there's, the body isn't really functioning the way that it, it should. Singing and making sounds are not something that we need to do a lot of different unnatural things uh, in order to do it. It's actually something that we are evolved to do. It's part of our anatomy. It's part of our socialization. So, you know, a lot of extra stuff tends to make it so that your voice functions less well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think about this a lot, and I think it's such a shame that we don't sing, I feel, as though as much as we used to as a society. Like when I was in England, I was surprised when you go to the bars there. People just burst into song and people sing along. It's so joyous and fun. And here in the United States, I just don't observe that. And if someone starts singing, it's like, uh, what? But I mean, maybe in church, people people still sing. And I still sing some at the holidays with groups. But yeah, it's really unfortunate, I think, because again, if you sing, well, you tell me, I just feel as though if you sing, you get more comfortable with your voice and having to produce that much more noise, right? Yeah, there is a certain amount of sonic space that you take up when you sing. And for some reason in our Western society, there's a lot of judginess about the voice. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of nitpicking. Um, there was a whole thing on NPR about people writing in to criticize the female announcers' voices. Really? Whoa. <laughs> that was this huge thing. And, oh. and they, they get a lot of, a lot of people writing and complaining that the female announcers are talking in the vocal fry. You know how they do. Oh, kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of sexy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. We've, we, we copy each other, right? Yeah. But you know, there's so much, there's so much external nitpicking. And then with American Idol and everybody has to be like, Oh, I felt that person had, you know, mm. like there's this whole criticism. And so if you're constantly being told no, you start to pull in a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's the same with like dog training, you know, uh, when you're using positive reinforcement, like in, I mean, by that rewards, mm-hmm. they tend to be a little bit more exploratory, a little bit more creative in the kinds of things that they want to do when you're using punishment they tend to be like i don't want to do anything because i could get punished mm-hmm. and i think you know people are the same you know you don't want to make a noise because you don't know somebody's going to come in and be really critical there's places where it's okay to sing and people who hang out in those places are tend to have better voices because i don't think that they feel that they're going to be criticized um you were mentioning uh, England, but I used to hang out with quite a few Irish people and mm-hmm. we would go to Irish bars and they will just start randomly singing Danny uh-huh. or whatever. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, my friend's singing Danny Boy right now for no reason. I don't know why, but, uh-huh. you know, or uh-huh. like the gospel church, you know, um, a lot of times they're like, well, you know, as long as you're praising God, then everything's cool. You know, you can make whatever noise you want. 
And so, and there's a lot of churches where there's a lot of audience interaction that some of us would not feel comfortable doing, you know, amen. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's my, you know, like talking back to the preacher or whatever. Um, and then there's other people that would feel like, oh my God, no, I can't do that because you could get stared at, you could get negatively reinforced somehow. I think there's a lot of, a lot of our judginess and we start to do it to ourselves too, but a lot of our judginess really makes us afraid to sing, you know, afraid to make noise. I think that's so insightful because, you know, we've become so preoccupied with performance, right? And I, I just see all this performing all the time, performing on social media, performing on television and performing in real life. And it's interesting that what comes hand in hand with that is going to be judging a performance. And so we're just not able to spontaneously live our life because we're always performing, right? It, there's a weird thing that's going on with that, that, that really, I think, as you say, constricts people. There does seem to be, especially in, you know, as you get younger generationally, there does seem to be a lot of stress put on those people, like the young people to always be sort of on, you know, they always Mm -hmm. have to have the selfies and they always have to have like their Instagramming everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's no private life there uh, for them. And I think that can be pretty alienating. Mm. Certainly stressful and certainly because people are so public, those of us who are more private feel as though we should just slink away to a dark corner because we can't compete on that kind of stage. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's interesting talking about dog training too. I wrote a book this summer about the working dogs of the Eastern Sierra. Oh my God. Yeah. I learned a lot about dog training. And what one of the trainers told me is the motto for dog training of a certain kind of, she calls it shaping. Oh yes. Shaping. Yeah. Shaping. So she says the motto for that is always right. Sometimes more right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think that'd be a wonderful message for our podcast today is, you know, go ahead and speak up, try out your voice, try things. It's always right. Sometimes it's more right, but it's always right. You know, Jeff, that's really, that's really insightful. Um, I do use the theory of shaping a lot in teaching because if they make any noise at all, any noise, you can work with it. Where you can't work is when they're not making would they refuse to make a noise because they're so freaked out, you know? But, you know, I taught my dog to turn off and on the lights and like, I'm too lazy to do this. I'm going to teach you to do it. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So so the dog would get kind of in the right corner where the light switch was and I would, Oh, good girl. And I'd give her some treats and then she would hang out in the corner a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Pretty soon she starts bumping into the wall. And so then I would just only click her and treat her for like when she was bumping into the wall. And then she got really mad because she hit the light switch once and I I treated her really big. And then after that, I would only treat her when she got kind of closer to the light switch. Uh Uh-huh. She couldn't figure it out. And then she threw a little temper tantrum, you know, Mm -hmm. and she jumps up on the light. And then I click her and treat her. And she's like, wait a minute. I was throwing a temper tantrum. Uh-huh. And it's then she's like, aha. So <laughs> right, aha. Uh-huh. You know, so any 
you know, eventually she's turning off and on the lights. But any behavior that they'll give you, you can work into the behavior that you want. Yeah, that's really that's really fascinating. Good for you, working yeah, it, on, working on something with your dog. That's so cool. Well, uh, actually, one of the most influential things that I've read as far as teaching is concerned is a book by Gene Donaldson, who ran the deaf hearing service dog program out of the San Francisco SPCA. And the book is called Culture Clash. Hmm. And it talks a lot about shaping and operant conditioning. And uh, I think it's really a good book for learning how to change habits and change behavior. Hmm, very interesting. All right, back to our back to our voices. Oh yes. So let's go back to this um, just to make sure we've got a couple of takeaways for people who know that they're too soft and they want to fill a room with their with their voice. Any tips for them? Well, like I said with the with the singing or speaking over like into the mask area. I think ground level, like for most people without going into an actual voice lesson, that's going to be the takeaway. However, you can also use this technique, which is, you know, when you're, you're peeing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you're trying to do it fast. Okay. So push down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do that while you speak, as long as you're not doing it too much, and you're not pressing down on your chest as well, that's going to give you a tiny bit more power. And that's a form of breath support. Okay. So you're going to sort of just push down on the front of the pelvic floor and as you speak. So like here's without and here's with. I don't know if you can hear the difference. Try it again. Yeah. So here's without. Here's with. So I'm talking now with a lot of breath support, and then I'm talking with no breath support. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you sound kind of loose in the second one. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a smushy, Mm -hmm. amorphous sort of thing. But breath support can be really good. Now, I don't want to give too much breath support um, instruction here because it's something that can easily translate into a lot of extra stress and strain for people if they don't kind of get the feedback from a one-on-one teacher. Mm. It's always a good idea to go in and get some vocal training to learn breath support so that you're not just kind of taking random stabs at it and maybe causing yourself more stress and strain, which is not going to help your voice at all. Well, I think that's really Good to point out. So sometimes I hear people go for volume by raising their voice, and then it kind of sounds like they're yelling, and <laughs> and, and that you know that can be kind of unpleasant and and a little bit frightening. You know when somebody's giving a presentation <laughs> yeah. and, and they're yelling. I mean it is more volume, but that's not the right way to get more volume. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is it is sort of a cheater way though because I mean we do hear people do tend to hear higher pitches a little bit more than lower pitches. Okay. That is a thing, but there's a natural sort of strength that avoid any particular voice. And it's different for every voice, but in a pitch range, 
that that voice is going to sound the strongest in sort of that pitch range. So, Hmm. yeah. So, and that's going to be different for everybody. So if you have a naturally low voice, raising your voice pitch, meaning the note that you're, that you're singing or speaking, Mm -hmm. raising the pitch on it is maybe not going to have the desired results. (laughs) Uh Or the, yeah, the effect on your audience, you're loud, but yeah. <laughs> but you're scaring people. <laughs> well, you know, and sometimes it's actually not going to be as loud of a sound because a lot of people's voices are pretty low. You know, mm. sometimes people's natural low range is the loudest for them. Oh, so you have you kind of have to find your own zone. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. The other thing I was going to say at least for me is practice helped a lot, like just getting used to hearing my own voice and being louder and just getting, realizing that if I was loud, people weren't going to faint. Yeah. That that it was actually helpful to people if I was louder. And this has come into play a lot for me over the past few years because my parents are aging and they can't hear as well. And Ah. it, it really is helpful to them for me to just be louder. You know, it's just not that hard to be louder and it makes our lives that much better. So I think practice for me has been very helpful. Yeah. Well, I think that is that is true. And a lot of times people are embarrassed, say, to practice in their apartment or they're afraid their neighbors are going to hear them. Sometimes what you can do is take Skype voice lessons, which basically have you making sounds in your apartment so that you sort of get used to that. And I'm, Mm. I'm told by several clients that it really helped them to feel okay and secure with like taking up this, you know, the sound space, like noise in their space. Uh, So I think the more that you do it, it's, you know, it is true. But the other thing is there are certain people that feel very comfortable taking up all the space in the world. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Games, but, um, but you know, and then there's others of us, and and especially women. Women do not want to take up a lot of space. We're trained to not do that. Being a loud woman is there's a lot of criticism that you go through if you're a loud woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's considered sort of not feminine, and you know, there's all these sort of there's all this baggage with it. So women are sort of taught to be quiet and pulled in a little bit. And, and that's the case bodily for people that live in big cities too, because, you know, you're trying not to inconvenience other people. You're trying not to get in anybody's way. So any kind of thing like that, like if you live in sort of a big city where, you know, you can hear your neighbors through the walls, or if you're female or sometimes, um, sometimes uh, different cultures, like some of the cultures in Asia do not want you to be allowed at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're sort of trained culturally to not be allowed, then it tends to be very psychologically threatening to you to take up that space. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions for exercises that people can do to strengthen their voices? Besides the talking through the coin slot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now we know what you mean. 45 minutes ago, we would have had no idea what you're talking about, but now we know. (laughs) Right. And the pushing down on the uh, front of the pelvic floor, not too hard, but just a little bit. Besides those two things, you can actually 
do any singing vocal exercises, which include um, just scales and mm. trying to sing it through the piggy bank slot. For instance, for women, you could be um, Zah. You could be there. And for dudes, if you were like Zah, but down an octave, and you're trying to just aim the sound through the piggy bank slot, that could do a lot to help you work with the mess because in singing, it's often understood by, and certainly by singers, they understand that you're basically exporting, you're pushing sound out and it's in a continuous flow. With speaking, we tend to think that it's not in a continuous flow and that it's like that, 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 that. But actually, if you listen to like how I'm speaking right now, it's all pretty much connected. Right. It's a flow. Yeah, it's a flow. So the singing can actually help quite a lot in understanding that when you're speaking or singing, that there's a flow to it and that you're not going to just stop making sound in between each note. (laughs) Right. Which also, Len, that um, emphasizes this idea of using air and breath support. Because right, I think yeah. we do that automatically when we sing, but maybe kind of forget about that when we're speaking. Well, it certainly is a little bit easier to communicate the techniques that you need in a singing lesson. And you can get, you know, as long as you're applying the singing lesson stuff into the speaking voice, uh, you should get good results. So a lot of times um, speaking coaches, a lot of times talk not necessarily about the sound of the voice and the use of the voice, but more like it's about your PowerPoint and stuff uh-huh. like, but if you go to a singing, uh, a singing expert or someone who actually is uh, a vocal pedagogue, you can learn the actual use of the voice. Yeah. I think that's a big part of, of presenting is your voice and how you control your voice and your tone and the pleasantness of your voice. And, and you want to drill, you know, you want to do your vocal exercise and you want to drill them because you want it to be sort of in muscle memory. By the time you get ready to actually give your speech or sing your song, you're going to be trying to be grounded in the lyrics. You're going to be thinking about what the lyrics mean to you, thinking of it as sort of like, you know, a story that, that you're saying rather than thinking about, oh, is my breath support right? at this exact moment. Mm-hmm. You can learn the song that way and you can put it in to the speech that way. But when you're actually performing the speech or you're giving, you're giving the speech or you're performing the song, you want to have all of that sort of installed already and for it to be muscle memory so that you're not thinking about your technique. Um, Cause that takes you away from the present moment. Mm-hmm. For some reason, people, you know, people won't attach onto the words unless you're kind of right there with them in the words. And sometimes that means sacrificing some vocal technique for interpretation. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, that's just, that's fascinating. Do you have any examples for us of people who we could hear speaking who you think have a really nice tone? You know, Martin Luther King sounds pretty good. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. That's interesting, right? Because his messages were so inspiring to people. And I wonder how much of that came, you know, just from his voice, right? 
Well, yeah. And I mean, he's, you know, a lot of the guys that do that kind of preaching too, um, a lot of them have very nice instruments. And you'll notice that they, you know, like they have a whole range of voice that a lot of times um, people are too intimidated to take advantage of, but they have a real way of presenting some of them. You know, you don't, uh, you want ones that are like good performers who are connected to what they're saying. But a lot of times, uh, and I think Dr. King is a really good example of this. There's a real use of the voice that where you can go up and you can go down and you can accent words. And when he speaks, it's all in one kind of phrase. So there's no like word space, word space, word space. It's Mm -hmm. all one kind of breath that he's using. I think he's, he's a pretty good example. Sometimes people talk about Garrison Keillor, but some of it's personal. I have a friend who finds Gar- who found Garrison Keillor's performances really irritating. I don't know why she just had a really bad reaction to that kind of soothing voice, you know. <laughs> you can't please everybody. Right. Yeah. And I think he uh, talked about Somewhere, I can't remember where he was advising people to sing, you know, if they wanted to improve their voices. And he said, especially sing the blues. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The blues, um, the blues are cool. They're kind of like haiku a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I think that, I think the blues is, is not a terrible place to start. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up with my final question here. I was really horrified to read this story about, Adam Driver being on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And I I don't have the whole story, right? Because what comes out in the media is always bizarre. Yeah. (laughs) So he has apparently kind of a phobia about hearing his own performance. And they were going to play a clip from one of his movies on the show. And the story is that he kind of freaked out and walked out. (laughs) <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. So there's all this blame flying around, right? Oh, she shouldn't have done that, yada, yada. And I don't, like I say, I don't know the full story. I don't know if he, you know, just panicked and, and left. But it, I do ask my clients to record themselves and then, you know, listen back and, and make changes and make modifications to try and arrive at something that they like, right? A, a performance that they are pleased with for their public speaking. So do you think, Ellie, that sometimes I shouldn't use that technique? Well, like uh, when we were speaking at the very beginning of the interview, um, we are talking about the sort of dysphoria that people have. Right, yeah. (laughs) I spoke a little bit earlier too about viewing things as a whole versus viewing things as a very specific thing. You know, when you're listening back to your tape, you want to listen for certain things and not listen to the whole thing, which kind of promotes judgment. Mm, Yeah. But if you're just listening for ums and you're just listening for these sorts of things, then it can be helpful. But if you cannot, you know, if you cannot detach like that and just listen to it for those, uh, you know, for those things, then sometimes it can be very emotionally difficult for people to do it. And a lot of times with beginner singers, you don't want them recording their lessons. And the reason is because they're going to hear it and they're going to get all judgy. (laughs) And then 
they're going to quit immediately and just decide that they just are going to, they just suck and they suck forever. It's permanent and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so a lot of times, um, sometimes I'll say, well, why don't you, if they really want to record themselves and say, why don't you record yourself now? And then we'll record, we'll record you in 12 weeks and then uh, singing the same song and we'll compare them. Because that at least is positive reinforcement. Right. You can see that there's been a change. Even if you're not happy with where you are, you can be like, oh, the process that we're doing is working. It's good. But if someone just hears a flat out one performance and it's at the starting point, they can get very judgy about themselves. Now, I don't know what happened with Adam Driver, but I don't know if he asked her not to play it. <laughs> like, right, yeah, we don't know the whole story. I, I mean, I suspect that they that the radio people were surprised, right? They, they you know, that, that it doesn't look good on anybody, so they wouldn't have entrapped him, I presume, right? Yeah, uh, I think you know sometimes, well, with performers too, you know, there's so much pressure on you, and there's so many people looking at you and judging you and like knocking you down on the internet and there's a lot of stress about being a famous person or, or person in the public eye that can really cause almost PTSD. Mm. <laughs> you know? oh. Yeah. Because, you know, you are sort of in this situation where you're forced to perform, but there's all this negative stuff being told to you from all, all sides, especially these days where everybody who has an opinion gets to just say whatever they want about you on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. Know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, you know, being famous can be incredibly stressful and difficult. So we don't really know what happened there, but I, um, I, I kind of do feel for the guy a little bit, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. No, I, I do as well. Well, that's a very nice kind note to end our show with. And Ellie, before we uh, move on to our day, do you want to tell our listeners how they could get in touch with you if you would like that, or if you have a website or or anything you'd like to share with them? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we have a we have a website, and I actually have a number of uh, associate teachers also, and most of them have PhDs. So, <laughs> so, so they're they're really good at what they do. So. If people wanted to uh, do sessions or uh, with me or with one of them, we, of course, welcome people to do that. Our website is uh, lessons.eleonorenglandland.com. So lessons.eleonorenglandland.com. Now I spell Eleanor with the O instead of an A, so just watch out for that. Well, thank you, Ellie, so much for the work that you do and for the positive message you've brought to the show today. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It was great to, it was great to talk with you. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. In keeping with the new year, we'll be changing our format somewhat as the show has evolved. We'll continue to address work-related problems, but in our second year, we'll be going beyond just an advice show to talk about work trends, labor laws, economics, interesting companies, 
as well as pranks, bad bosses, and more screw-ups at work. If you have a question about a work-related issue or a comment about the show, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website discreetguide.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T. And at that website, you can also sign up for The Pergola, a digital publication that comes out every other month, and get information about training programs, books, consulting sessions, articles, jokes, and resources, all for us to work better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces. And thanks for listening. New shows will be available every Tuesday and sometimes Friday. Tune in so you can hear more about trouble at work.